Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Father, we just invite, we thank you, Lord, that you are here by your Holy Spirit, Lord. We thank you that you, um, that you speak into us, Lord, that you would be glorified in our midst. And you would be glorified when we go from here as well, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So, first of all, I'm going to share a picture with you that the Lord gave me, which I think is for CCF. Um, and it was, we, you know that Alice and I went on a mission to Brazil. I'm going to talk about the mission to Brazil in a bit more detail later. But as we left the bus from the, from the city that we were in, in our mission, it was kind of 4.30 in the morning or 5 o'clock in the morning or something like that, and we were driving out. And um, the Lord just, I was listening to music, and the Lord gave me this picture, which had nothing to do with the surroundings that we were in in Brazil, but I think it's for CCF. And it was this. It was a kind of strange picture. It was a field. It, the image was of a field full of brown Jersey cows, particular Jersey cows. Do you know what a Jersey cow looks like? It's a shame I don't have any illustrations, but they're, they're brown. They're quite small. Um, and these cows were standing at the other end of the field from where I was. And uh, the field was, wasn't large. It was probably an acre or something. And um, they didn't take up all the space there. And they were sat down near each other. And they were lying down, and they were peaceful, and they were chewing the cud, and they were looking towards me. And they were all well-fed. And the grass that they were on was very green. But on the left-hand side of the field, there was like a cliff. And on the right-hand side of the field, there was like a barrier, like a hedge. Okay? And um, there were a number of points I wrote in response to this. It's interesting, the cows were at the other end of the field, and we needed to kind of walk towards them. So, so to me, it was a picture that isn't yet quite ready to be fulfilled, but it is kind of something we're moving into. And the cows were lying down. And we know that cows lie down when it's about to rain. That's what kind of... Folklore says, isn't it? It's like they, they, and so there's going to be a heavy rain and it's going to bring a harvest of souls. But the key to this picture, which I realized when I was looking at it yesterday in more detail, was that the cows are Jersey cows. I knew a little bit about Jersey cows because if you go to the supermarket, you can get special milk, which is like Jersey milk, right? And it's like really good, rich milk. But the image made much more sense with the help of Google, because I Googled Jersey cows. Okay? The Jersey, this is what Google says, the Jersey is the most profitable cow for today's dairy business. She produces a pound of milk components at a lower cost compared to other major breeds. She has little or no calving problems, greater fertility, a, short in carve, a shorter calving interval, and earlier maturity. Interesting. Jersey milk contains 20% higher amount of butter fat than other breeds' milk. Products such as milk, butter, and ice cream made from Jersey milk will naturally, naturally have a creamier, richer flavor. So I can hear myself just echoing a little bit. Sorry, Ed. Thank you. It says, you can have the best of both worlds, quality and nutrition with a great flavor. Then more interestingly, or as interestingly, Jersey cows come from Jersey, the island, okay? And they were bred as an isolated breed. There was a law passed in 1789 which stopped people importing cows to Jersey, and the ones that were there were then an isolated kind of breed which, which were bred. And, and this ensured that they were pedigrees. And so from, from 1789 to 2008, that small island had cows being bred on it. They did take cows from that island into the UK quite a lot, but they never... Oh, there you go. There... <laughs> cool. <laughs> they, they took the, that, that, those cows from the island to the UK and beyond, but they weren't allowed to bring them back to the island um, without ensuring their pedigree nature. And they're still a pedigree breed today. Indeed, there's a, there's a society and a book that's kept which, uh, which records every single Jersey cow to show its pedigree. And um, it's, you can see... They're cute, aren't they? Um, um, every, every Jersey cow has a pedigree, is a pedigree, and it has a unique ear tag, and it has a pedigree certificate. And this society is absolutely fastidious in ensuring that they are pedigree cows. There's nothing that's not pedigree about them. And they're, and they're sought after throughout the world as the world's best milk producers. So what does this mean for CCF? 
I think the picture here is that every person here is in the position of feeding young believers when they come in, or people out there. Yeah? The grass that we're grazing on in here is very green, and it's very important that we're able to feed others. And as with any church, our DNA is unique, but what we have has been concealed for a while, but it's not going to remain concealed and will become much sought after. Okay? Um, the cliff top is also interesting to me. These cows were at the top of a cliff, feeding as if it was the most normal thing in the world, undisturbed by the fact that there was a cliff edge just near them. And today, I'm going to talk more about climbing the cliff, but every cliff that has been climbed is not daunting to those who have already climbed it, right? So, so these cows were totally peaceful, despite the kind of nature of their circumstances there. And Deji talked last week about this thing of going higher with God. That was part of part of the slide that he showed, talked about going higher with God. And I'd prepared a message, and then last night the Lord laid on my heart to prepare a different message. So, so that's what I did. Um, so this morning, the title of my message is this, is great victories are won through small acts of courage. Great victories are won through small acts of courage. And let's, let's um, today we're going to look at 1 Samuel 14. So if you want to turn to 1 Samuel 14, that would be great. Uh, if we could have that on the screen, the beginning of that passage. This is a passage that the Lord laid on my heart a number of weeks ago, a couple of months ago. Um, and it's great. It's a great passage. It's a rich passage. And to understand the context of the passage, we obviously need to look in chapter 13. So I'm just going to give you a little pricey of chapter 13. Things are bad for Israel at the point of chapter 13, the beginning of chapter 14, because the Philistine army has come to oppose King Saul. And so King Saul is, has got 600 men left with him. The rest of the army has kind of melted away because all of a sudden the Philistines have come out, out in their numbers and it says that they, they, were, they, they numbered like sand on the seashore. And so the Israelite, many of the Israelites have not stayed with Saul. Instead, it says that they've hidden in cracks, holes, rocks, tombs, pits, and cisterns. Imagine the desperation to like, hide in, a, in, in somebody's tomb to, to, um, because you're that fearful. Some have even crossed the Jordan so that they can't be got by the Philistines. And to make things worse for the Israelites, the Philistines have disarmed them by driving the metal workers from the land. So there's nowhere where they can get weapons. The only thing they, they have to fight with are farm tools that they can have sharpened for a particular price. Only Saul and Jonathan have swords. And Saul, it says in chapter 13, it, it indicates he's in a place of real fear. And this is where we see Jonathan act. So let's start at verse 1. I'm going to read through it. And then I'm going to read for it again, and we're going to go into detail. So, so can we have it on the screen? Cool. Perfect. Thank you. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his armor-bearer, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was remaining in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. And with him were about 600 men. And Ahijah, son of Ahitab, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing the ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan was gone. Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other side. One was named Bozes and the other Senna. The one crag rose north in front of Michmash and the other to the south in front of Geba. And Jonathan said to his young armor-bearer, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is nothing to prevent the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor-bearer said to him, Do all that is on your mind. I am with you in whatever you think best. Jonathan said, We will pass over to these men, and we will let them see us. If they say to us, Wait until we come up to you, then we will stand still in our place and will not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will go up, for the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and this will be our sign. So both of them let the Philistine garrison see them. And the Philistines said, behold, the Hebrews are coming out of their holes where they have hidden themselves. The garrison men said to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we will show you a thing. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come after me, for the Lord has given them into Israel's hands. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet, his armor-bearer after him, and the enemy fell before Jonathan. 
and his armor-bearer killed them after him. And that, and that first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor-bearer made was about 20 men within about half an acre of land, which an ox, a yoke of oxen might plow. And there was a trembling and panic in the Philistine camp, in the field and among all the men. The garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked and it became a terror from God. <coughs> Saints, in between us and our greatest victory, there stands a cliff. And in between you and your greatest victory, there may well stand a cliff. Between the church and the UK now and revival, there stands a cliff. And it's interesting because the situation of the church in the UK isn't that different from Israel at the start of this story. Last week I was with my mum and we were, in, um, we were near Rutland, kind of just, just north of Northamptonshire. And um, we were staying in an old Wesleyan chapel, very quaint, but it's not a church any longer. It's an uh, it's, uh, uh, Airbnb now. Yeah. And we went past quite a few other churches that were, you know, derelict looking. So much of this, the church in this nation is in a similar state to Israel at the start of this story, maybe hiding in holes, tombs, cisterns, or trying to blend into the culture. What does the church in the UK actually need? It needs someone to come out of hiding and show them that God is powerful. And I think that's happening in places. You know, we need to show them that our God is mighty and that our God is victorious. But before we see great victory, we have to climb the cliff. And climbing a cliff takes active faith. You know, it's not just about hearing about the good things of God. It's actually about doing the stuff. Belief put into obedient action, if you like. We need to give God something to work with. And that's what Jonathan does in this story. He gives God something to work with. It's a crazy situation. Let's think about it, you know. There's as many Philistines as the sand on the seashore. And it includes, like, there were 6,000 chariots, I think, and, you know, thousands and thousands of people, of um, enemy army and Jonathan goes right let's go two of us and climb a cliff and see what God can do unpack a little bit that we can apply to our own situations the Lord has a purpose and a destiny for us as a church and he has one for each of us individually and it's unique to each of us individually but the Lord wants us as a fellowship to encourage each other and build each other up you know, that's why we're having a picnic after this, um, after this service, to build each other up, to be together as a fellowship. And this pattern that he has for us is the building of his kingdom in, in, in this nation and beyond, to see his kingdom come, to see his will be done. That we can see a great breakthrough like the Israelites saw with Jonathan and his armor bearer. So let's go back through this story and just simply pull a few things out. So I'm going to go to verse 1. Thanks, Jonathan. He's a man of faith, Jonathan. Yeah. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his armor-bearer, Come, let us go up to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. There are three things that I notice here. Jonathan has a plan, and he puts it into action. That's the first thing. Secondly, he chooses his companion for the plan, but he doesn't tell him every detail of the whole plan at that point. His companion is, is his armor-bearer, the man who has... has who has to know how to accompany him into battle. Interesting that he chooses the armor-bearer. Who is it that you need personally to support you in the task that God has given you to perform? Who's the person that's going to stand by you and encourage you? Because as a, as a, as a fellowship, you know, we should be getting people, each people from this fellowship alongside each other so that they can support each other and stand by and encourage each other, not only as groups but also as individuals. Interesting, isn't it? Jonathan has the wisdom not to tell his father about this plan. How often when we have a plan, do we wreck the plan immediately by telling it to somebody who's cynical? And they go, oh, I wouldn't do that, Dave. Oh, I wouldn't go there, Dave. Oh, that's a really terrible idea, Dave. You know, and Saul is in a place of fear at this point, as I said. So imagine if Jonathan had gone to Saul and said, I'm going to take my armor bearer, I'm going to climb the cliff, I'm going to defeat the Philistines. What his dad would have said to him, it would have been like, Nah, it's not going to happen today, Jonathan. So Jonathan has to not tell his father. He has to have the wisdom as to who he says his plan to and who he leaves it from. And it may be that you individually have got something that the Lord has laid on your heart and you're tempted to tell somebody, but you need to be really careful who you tell. 
because if you tell the wrong person, they're going to discourage you. They're going to ground you before you can even start off, you know. And we've all been in that place where we've got had a, what we think is a great idea and then somebody comes and rains on our parade just before we're about to kind of get on with it. So don't share your ideas with everybody. Don't share what God gives you with everybody at that moment. Just share in the way that God gives you to share. And that's the armor bearer, you know. For Jonathan, it's the armor bearer. He tells him some stuff. Let's go over to the other side. See those uncircumcised Philistines. He doesn't tell him the whole thing, but he gives him enough. And the, his armor bearer is amazing, isn't he? He just, he just goes, yeah, okay, I'll do whatever you say. Yeah, I'll do whatever you say. Verse 3 also says, and the people did not know that, that Jonathan was gone. You see, Jonathan didn't talk widely about what he was about to do. He didn't make a fanfare of it in front of the people. You see, when God puts an idea in our hearts, it may seem absurd to lots of people. And again, we don't want to kind of release it to many before God is ready for us to do so. He'll, op- he'll release it to the many at his opportune moment. Verse 4. Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on one side and a rocky crag on the other. The one was named Bozes and the other Senna. Interesting, isn't it, that these cliffs had names? That tells me something about them, right? These cliffs had names. I don't know what your cliff, what the name of your cliff that you're personally facing is, which seems impossible to climb. Maybe you're part of the way up your cliff and, and it seems that you have to be on your hands and knees as, as it says later in this passage, Jonathan was. This cliff was tough that he had to climb. He didn't seem to be able to carry a weapon and climb, hence the reason he needed his armour bearer, right? It's like really tough, you know. He had to figure things out as he climbed. I don't know if any of you saw that film Free Solo a few years ago. There's a, climb, there's a climber called Alex, Alex Hanold. Uh, have you ever seen that? Go and see it. It's amazing. Um, but this guy, basically, um, he, he does free solo climbing, which basically means he climbs without ropes. And um, so if he falls, that's it. OK? So he, he decided he was going to climb El Capitan, which is the big rock face in um, Yosemite. And um, nobody has ever climbed it without ropes before. And the film Free Solo shows you him soloing it without ropes. And uh, he's a crazy guy. And there's one point in this. He's totally crazy. There's one point in this climb. I mean, when, when, I, when you look at the cliff, you're like, where are the handholds? You know, there are these cracks that run up it and he kind of puts his hands in them. And, but then sometimes he comes upon a thing and it just looks like a kind of indentation in the rock. And he's kind of, he's kind of on, this, on this climb, you know, with 100 metres below him with an indentation that he's kind of leaning on. And then there's a bit in the film where he has to go from one bit because the bit he gets to... And obviously, he's never, he's never done this without ropes before. So he gets up to this bit and the only way he can go is kind of to the left quite away to the left. And so he has to take one, one hold with one, of his, with one of his limbs, I think with, with one of his hands, and he has to swing his whole body over to the next part of the cliff before he can continue to climb. So Alex Hanna, I mean, it's a crazy, it's a crazy, crazy, crazy um, thing because when you, see those, when you see those cliff faces, they are really bare, you know. And he had loads of figuring out to do. It was like, it's like a kind of puzzle that he has to do when he goes up. You know, and um, sometimes he's still alive. He's still alive. He's still doing some stuff. I'm amazed. A lot of his friends aren't still alive because, you know, they are kind of quite crazy. Um, he talks about going up another cliff in, in Yosemite, and he said, I got to, the to-, to almost the top, like literally about t- 10 metres from the top, and he said, I could hear picnickers on the top of this rock. And they obviously didn't know I was there. And he was climbing it without ropes. And he said, I got to this point, and the cliff was actually loose. The bit I had to go across was actually loose. And he said, and uh, so I had to just, you know, brace myself and then go for it quite quickly. And he went for it, and he got up, and he walked over the edge, up the top of the cliff. And these picnickers looked at him like it was the normalest thing to do and just carried on that picnic, you know, just bizarre. Um, but Alex Hanels has, has to figure out what to do, you know, and then he has to kind of take risks, 
It is all taking risks, that thing. And interestingly, in, in this story, Bozes, which is one of the rocks that, one of the cliff faces that Jonathan is facing, means slippery. Yeah? And Senna means thorny. So he's in, a, in between a rock and a hard place, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's think about this. You're, you're climbing your cliff. What thorns are catching you? What things are slippery to you? My challenge to you is in the next few hours or tomorrow morning when you get up and come to the Lord, spend some time reminding yourself of the, uh, of the plan and destiny that he has for you and the, the fact that he has you and he's going to help you get to your destination and, and ask the Lord to help you recognise what it is that's in your way. Help, help you recognise what's distracting you or what's making you procrastinate or what's, you know, what's making it so that you feel like you go up a couple of steps and then you slide down a little bit. Recognise what thorns are, are scratching you. And then ask the Lord how to overcome these things in your time with him. Just ask him, how can I overcome these things? And write a list. Write down what is stopping you. And then spend some time asking him for the solution to what is stopping you. Because the Lord wants you at the top of that cliff. It's the enemy who doesn't want you there. Yeah? So you've got, to, you've got to figure out what it is with clarity that you need to do in order to get up that cliff. Because otherwise what happens is, you know, we get distracted. We get kind of, you know, we get kind of impeded in our progress. And then we kind of forget what we're actually there for and we start doing something else other than his purpose, right? You know, I met, I met, I, we met an old couple from our home group, a couple who, are, who were in our old home group at our old church recently. We hadn't seen them for ages. They left London about 13 or 14 years ago. And we, they, they, they um, came in for a cup of tea because they were going to see one of, the, one of our neighbours. And uh, it was really great to see them. But what was really interesting to me, and Philippa said this afterwards, was they were going, oh, um, yeah, he was saying, yeah, I really want to lead a home group in this, in this church that they've been part of since they left London. I really want to lead a home group. And it's like 13 years later. And he said, I'm 69. And I'm like, you know, we're like, you know, this guy's a capable guy. He's, he could easily lead a home group. He should have led our home group probably instead of us. Um, but he is like his progress has been impeded. And he's come up against an obstacle. And it's like time is moving on. And he's not getting over that obstacle. And we can't let that happen. So write down what the Lord reveals to you about where you're at and, and ask him what his actions are to resolve that. And then throughout the next week, tick off the things as you do them that he is asking you to do. And I'm sure that next week you'll be a little bit higher up that cliff than you are right now. So let's go back to the passage and verse 6 and Jonathan said to his, armor, young, his young armor bearer, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for, as, for there is nothing to prevent the Lord from saving by many or by few. It's interesting that his armor bearer is young. He's, not, he, he's, he's young enough not to realize this is a really daft, really daft thing he's about to do in, in the natural. He's just like, yeah, I'm up for it. <laughs> But here we see Jonathan's level of expectation. Nothing can prevent the Lord from saving by many or by few. Where's our faith at, guys? If God puts something that expands his kingdom on our hearts, won't he show himself to be faithful? You know, one of the verses I, I was holding on to when I was in Brazil was this one. Philippians 1.6, I am convinced and sure of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue it until the day of Christ Jesus, developing and perfecting and bringing it to full completion in you. Amen. This word by Jonathan is one that we should all learn. I mean, we should have this word somewhere, shouldn't we, you know? Print it out, put it on your fridge, you know? We need to be reminded that Jonathan and his armor brother, two people who bring a massive change through just small, courageous action. It might have seemed insignificant, like seeing these two little guys climbing up this cliff, but it was deeply significant because he acts in obedience and he acts in courage to what he's asked to do. So verse 7. And his armor bearer said to him, do all that is on your mind. I am with you in whatever you think best. 
You see, like I said, Jonathan chose his armor bearer well. He goes with Jonathan. He's faithful to him. He can evidently carry Jonathan's weapons up the cliff as well because it's, it doesn't appear that when Jonathan gets to the top, he actually has his weapons in his hands, right? So the armor bearer is carrying the weapons. He's the expert in carrying weapons. Sometimes we need an expert alongside us who just complements what we're good at. And later on, it's the, it's the armor bearer who actually does the killing. Verse 8, 9, and 10. Jonathan said, we will pass over to these men and we will let them see us. This is his, his plan, you know. We will pass over to this men and we will let them see us. If they say to us, wait until we come up to you, then we will stand still in our place and will not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will go up, for the Lord has delivered them into our hand and this will be our sign. Man, isn't God's strategy different to our strategy? It's like, I know, climb up a cliff... You know, it's the, anyone who's, who knows anything about military strategies doesn't, doesn't recommend coming up to an enemy from below. Yeah, that's just the most crazy thing, you know. But that's why we have to spend time seeking God's strategy because otherwise we do it in the natural and then we get caught out. Whereas God's strategy is his... his it looks absurd to us sometimes, but all he asks for us to do is to obey. And interestingly... Jonathan doesn't know the rest of the story at this point, right? He only knows the bit he's been told. So he, he shares the bit he's been told and, and strikes out in faith. You know, at times the Lord tells us something that seems in, massively crazy, but is actually entirely spot on. And if we shrink from it, we will miss out on his plan. Okay? So we were taught about... You know, one of the things the youth on this mission were taught about um, when we were in Brazil was words of knowledge and, you know, how to hear from God, receive words of knowledge and give words of knowledge. And, and um, the speaker at the time said, you know, there, sometimes these words of knowledge seem crazy. He said, one time I had a woman who, you know, we went down the line and various people said, oh, there's a sore knee, that somebody's got a sore hip, you know, somebody has, a, this has happened to somebody, etc., etc." And they got to one woman and she said, I see an empty room with a banana hanging from a string in the middle of it. <laughs> and the speaker's like, I was on stage thinking, what the heck was, what, you know, what, where do you go with that? And essentially, a woman came up and she said, I went, I, I have had these migraines and I went to this healer and he told me to hang a banana on a string in the middle of this room. And since then, my, my migraines have actually got worse. Yeah? Um, but... Evidently, after then, it spoke to her. She came up, she received prayer, she was healed, and then she obviously went home and took the banana down, right? <laughs> but sometimes things seem absurd, but they're actually spot on. If that g girl who gave that word hadn't said that picture, that, that woman might still have those migraines, right? Mm -hmm. Let me tell you how I actually got, we actually got to Brazil to actually go to Brazil, because that in itself seemed absurd to me at the time, you know. It seemed like a, it is a totally God thing that we went. You know, in November I was thinking about what to do with Alice after she finished her GCSEs, and I was looking on this website of this famous evangelist, international evangelist, and I saw that his organisation did trips for youth each year, just one trip a year. And then I looked and I saw it was during my term time. Okay, and a few of you have met my boss, right? And the, the one thing that Steve really hates is teachers taking time off during term time. Yeah, that is the one thing. He's like, you know, he, he would not usually give permission for this. So, so anyway, I was like, I said to Philip, I'd love to do this, but I don't think I can. And Philip said, why don't you pray about it? And so I prayed about it. And then eventually in kind of January, I think it was probably February or March actually, having prayed and fasted and such, I went to see my boss and I said, Steve, I've got a big ask for you. Can I have two weeks off in term time? And he was like, we'll see what we can do, Dave. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever had one of those answers? Yeah, Steve gives me those answers quite a lot. So I, I took it as yes, although he didn't exactly say yes, and started to plan what could be done. And indeed, the plan came off, you know. And the great thing is I even missed a school inspection while I was away. Um, <laughs> cool. He probably wasn't so happy with me. But by that point, I was on the plane, man. It was too late. <laughs> it was too late. So that was... But it was kind of... 
I could have easily shut that opportunity down before it opened up. I could have easily said, I even said, I don't think it's possible. And Philippa was the one who said, no, I think it, it could be. And so, and so we did it and we went to Brazil for two weeks during town time. Amazing. Now I'm just going to have to ask him to do it next year as well. <laughs> That's another thing. Um, so verse 11, let's get back to the passage. Verse 11, so both of them let the Philistine, garrison, the Philistine garrison see them. And the Philistines said, behold, the Hebrews are coming out of their holes where they have hidden themselves. There is a time when the Lord will, will give you when your plan needs to come out into the light. And people need to see it. You know. And they might, again, think it's absurd. Because, verse 12, the garrison men said to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to this and we will, come up to us and we will show you a thing. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come, up, come after me, for the Lord has given them into Israel's hands. It's a kind of vulnerable moment, you know. It's like creatives have this moment, you know. I teach, but I'm also an artist. And, you know, if you have an exhibition, you have that vulnerability of showing something of what you think you're meant to be doing. And you can feel super exposed. You're like that on that cliff and you're thinking, hmm. But we've got to keep on climbing. You know, Jonathan is in this place and we, he has to keep on climbing. And he's not deterred by the enemy's taunts. In, indeed, he actually sees him as a sign that he's got things right and God is going to act. How often do the enemy's thoughts put you into retreat rather than fueling your fire and making you go, actually, this must be a God thing because everyone's against it, so it must be God because it can't be me because I'm, I'm I, I wouldn't have gone there, you know. But we have to get to that point. And then we can overcome in, God, in God's strength, overcome the enemy in God's strength. And interestingly here in this, in this verse, verse 12, it says... Come up after me, Jonathan says to his armour bearer. Jonathan takes the lead here. And there's times when it's important to take the lead when courage needs to be shown. It's that stepping out sort of thing. You know, we think about talking to a stranger. Abby and I were talking about um, talking to people on the street. You know, you always feel that kind of slight apprehension before you do it. But with that little bit of courage, we open great conversations and we, we give God the opportunity to move, you know. And when he, when he moves, he can really move, yeah. you know. Verse 13. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet, his armour-bearer after him, and the enemy fell before Jonathan, and his armour-bearer killed them after him. Verse 14. And that great slaughter which Jonathan and his armour-bearer made was about 20 men within about half an acre of land which a yoke of oxen might plough. And you see, Jonathan gets to the top of the cliff Right? And he doesn't seem to have a weapon on him. It says the enemy fell before Jonathan. But he doesn't actually have a weapon because it's his armor bearer who finishes him off. You know, isn't that crazy? It's like the enemy fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them after him. It seems as if Jonathan's very presence was enough to deal the enemy a blow. It was enough for the, a big enough blow for the armor, his armor bearer to take advantage of. As David would say, David Powell would say, you know, going into any situation, we have Jesus with us, Jesus in us, have the Holy Spirit with us. What kind of fight is it? You know, how, how unfair is this fight? You know, we have the Lord with us. Who can be against us? Amazing. And then verse 15. And there was trembling and panic in the Philistine camp, in the field and among all the men. The garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked and it became a terror from God. You see, once Jonathan moves, then God moves. God is asking us to do things that he's going to back up. He never asks to do, us to do something that he's not going to back up. There may be times in the moment where we really have to, you know, do that kind of praying in tongues in our head kind of thing, you know, to find what God's doing at that very moment. But he's faithful. And this story shows that small actions of obedience and courage have huge consequences and win great victories. The story doesn't end at this point. Indeed, God causes a victory. Let's, let's look just a little bit further on in the passage to see the effect that Jonathan's actions have on those who joined the Philistines, you know, or who had hidden themselves. Verse 21. 
and 22. Moreover, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before that time, who went up with them into the camp from the country round about, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. So there are some, Philist some, some Hebrews, some Israelites, who had gone over to the enemy's side because they were so disturbed by the Philistines that they'd prefer to be with them and like them than stand out and be a true Israelite. But when they hear of Jonathan's courage and the, and the route that God brings, they turn around and, they, and, and they're turned around into a place of faith. You know? And there are loads of people in our nation in this place. There are loads of people in our nation in this place in this place what they're at you know they're like yeah God would have shown up for me then then I would have done this or why does God allow suffering they have all these questions about God but when they see God move those questions like evaporate really quick and they go actually I'm gonna I'm gonna be on the Lord's side and the good thing about that is the Lord's strategic so he places them in all those places with the Philistines alongside them so that when they turn they, they're right there. They have the proximity to those people who need to hear about, to, to hear what's going on. You know, when those people in Britain who have, have lost their faith come back to faith, they're surrounded by people who have no faith, so they can, they can work on those people. You know, they can bring the word to those people. Verse 22, Likewise, all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, they also went after them in hot pursuit in the battle. So even these guys who had hidden themselves come out of their hiding place and they join in the battle. You know, so people change sides, you know, and they have raised expectations as they hear what God can do and what God has done. And I want to just end by sharing some testimonies of what God can do and what God has done. Because testimony raises our expectation. You know, when the people heard of what Jonathan did, you know, Jonathan, God did through Jonathan, they were woken up to something that they hadn't seen before. You know, they were woken up back to what God wanted to do. Hebrews 10.24 says, let us consider how to provoke each other into love and good works. And I think one of the ways we can provoke each other is by sharing what God has been doing in our lives and doing in those people around us. And um, the word of God actually tells us in Revelation 12, 11, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. That's part of, part of that verse. <laughs> but the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Why do testimonies do this? They raise our expectation. They change our viewpoint. They show that God still shows up now. They show that what we thought was insurmountable is actually easy for God, you know. <coughs> Sometimes we think it's all about us, you know. And um, as the guy who ran the mission I was, we were on said, you know, he said, I can't even heal a headache. God can do it. I can't do anything. All I have to do is, is, is ask him. So I want to encourage you with a few stories from Brazil. And as I encourage you, it's really interesting because I've... I've been back, we've been back since early July, so we've been back like three weeks or something like that, two and a half weeks. And people have said to me quite a lot, oh Dave, how was Brazil? And it's really interesting because some people I've shared with have been like, wow, and you can see their hearts soften and you can see them open to it. And then other people I've shared with have been like, oh that's so great, God can do that in Brazil, can't he? <laughs> God can do that in Africa. I read a book about how God did that in Africa once, but he doesn't do that any, over here. I had somebody say that to me last week. Yeah. Is God the same in Brazil as he is in the UK? Is God the same in Brazil as in the UK? That's what we need to realise. He's the same. He's the same. One, the guy I shared a room with, we, we had twin rooms, and the guy I shared a room with works for the mission I was on quite a lot, and he said he took his family to see Heidi Baker over in, over in Mozambique a few years ago, and he said they went there for like a number of months, and his kids were quite young at the time, and um, he said God was just moving amazingly, and he said as he, as he prepared to go back to America, Daniel said he was asking the Lord, Lord, how, how can it be like, why isn't it like this in America? Why isn't it like this in America? Why don't you move in America like you do in, 
in um, Mozambique. Why don't you move in America like you do in Mozambique? And he, he kept on saying, bringing this to the Lord. And he said, he said, the strongest I've ever heard from the Holy Spirit was, was his response to that. He said, I'm the same in America. It's just you that's not the same. You know? That was a crazy, um, a crazy thing. So, Alice and I spent two weeks in Brazil and um, we were with a mission called Global Awakening and we were the only Brits on the team, which was cool because they all love the British accent. You know, all the Americans absolutely love, you know, that's, that's kudos to have a British accent, right? Yes. Whatever a British accent is, I don't know, but... but <laughs> anyways, um, and so we had a team of about 60 young people, teens and early 20s, split into six groups of about 10 each, led by an adult. And we were the ministry team for, in the services for a conference held by Global Awakening. And we were in a church that I think Alice would say as well, it kind of, um, it, it surprised us when we first walked in probably. You know, I think every church in London would be like. Cool. <laughs> I'm up for that. Don't worry, John. Turn that off now, please. Cool. Don't worry, it's fine. I'll slap you later. So, so we were the ministry team. A bunch of um, young people, aging from I think the youngest, the youngest was 14, and the oldest, the oldest youth was about 29, but mainly teenagers. And uh, I want to first tell you about the services because that was, it, was, it was interesting. They were super simple. Nothing complex about them. They'd start with some worship, quite loud worship. I noticed that Brazilians like their worship loud. Yeah. And I noticed that, that, that quite a few of the songs that they, they had, we, we'd know quite a lot of the songs. It was quite funny, actually, because they'd translated quite a few of the songs that we would know into Portuguese, and then they had the translation back from Portuguese that was different to the song that we would know, in, in a sense. So it was, it was funny. It was, it, it was fun. But they were... The, what I noticed was that quite a few of the songs were focused on the power of God, yeah. simply. And then one of the speakers would stand up to give their talk for the conference to equip the church. For example... Um, Giving a, giving a talk about healing. And, and they would speak about how Jesus healed everybody who came to him who needed to be healed, about how he commissioned the 12 disciples and gave them authority to heal, and um, how he, gave, he likewise did that to the 72, and then how in the Great Commission he also gives it to all believers. Super simple, super scriptural, you know, nothing there that we need to argue with. And then the speaker would give some testimony about how God has healed from their experience. And those testimonies would be stories about, you know, people receiving healing. And then they would ask team members to come, like us ministry team members, to come and give a couple of words of knowledge each. And after that, the speaker would invite the Holy Spirit um, into the ministry time and ask those who wanted to respond to the message to come towards the front. And the next couple of hours is quite difficult to describe. I don't think we actually have a word for it in English. Do you know that? Because it's like, we can't say pandemonium because actually the root of pandemonium is like all demons. Um, maybe all demons, were, all demons were fleeing. That was definitely true. Um, and, and pandemonium suggests things were out of control, but things weren't out of control. They were in God's control. And it wasn't chaos because chaos suggests void, void or emptiness. Maybe carnage, maybe, because a lot of flesh was dealt with and cut away. Cut away. But what I would call it, in a sense, is like a Holy Spirit explosion. And what it was was that people were hungry to see God move. They made their way to the front to receive whatever he had for them, whether it be healing or impartation or repentance or new life or rededication or whatever, whatever had been preached on. They were hungry to receive it. So it was like the whole sermon and the testimonies had primed this enormous Holy Spirit bomb and then during ministry it just exploded all over the room. You know? And the testimonies were vital to build faith in the room. So as I share some testimonies, let it build faith in the room. Yeah? I, I, I sent to one of the translators, I WhatsApped him um, on Friday and heard a testimony back from the mission, um, which was 
Good, because when you're, when you're in a mission like that, obviously you only see what you see on the spot, what happens then and there. You don't see the backstory, you don't see what happens afterwards. You just, you're just there for two weeks and you just you know, see what God does then and there. And believe me, he carries on after you leave. Um, but this, this guy wrote to me, he said, let me tell you a story about one of the things that happened while on, on, the, on the mission. He said, a woman came to church one day Guys, see God's compassion in this. Sorry. She had not been able to see out her right eye for 26 years. She prayed, Jesus, this is the last time that I will pray because every other time that I prayed to be healed, nothing happened. So this will be the last time. I'll count from 10 to zero. And if no one comes to pray for me, I will never ask again. So she started counting, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3. She reached three and two teenage girls from the mission came up, prayed for her, and she was healed on the spot. 26 years, blind in one eye, healed on the spot when two teenage girls prayed for her. I'd love to share now, I'd love to get Alice to come up and share now because Alice was here as well and um, she's got some stories as well. And so Alice is just going to come and share. Um, should we give a, can we give her a microphone, Ed? There we are. So I didn't really know what to expect going to Brazil. I hadn't really looked much into it because I'd just done GCSEs, so I was focused on school. Um, but the main, uh, one of the main things that stuck out to me was when they would call us up to ask if we could give words of knowledge. I mean, it wasn't if we could. They kind of said, guys, you're coming up to give words of knowledge. <laughs> so I was like, okay, that's fine. Um, so I had two. Um, this was like the third day. Um, I, we went up and they came along the line and I had two. I had one which was pain in the ovaries, um, like the lower stomach, and one which was pain in the right breast. So they're quite like feminine issues. So um, after we'd give them, uh, whoever wanted healing would come up to the person who said the word of knowledge. So 15, about 15 women came up to me after. Um, asking for prayer. Um, I would say like over half got healed, but the one that stuck out to me was a woman who had tumours in her breast that she could feel. Um, and after I prayed, the biggest tumour uh, had disappeared that she could feel. Um, from that word of knowledge, there were three healings of cysts in the uterus and ovaries. Um, one where the pain went from eight to four and then from four to zero. Um, burning in the ovaries and the lower stomach. Um, and it felt like the cyst had completely like disappeared, kind of like deliverance from it. Um, and then another healing that stuck out to me was a woman and her boyfriend had come up to me for prayer. Um, she told me she had an, he had an issue with his knee and hadn't been able to walk for two months properly. So I prayed and pray, prayed for a while and I asked him if he'd felt anything and he said no, like nothing much feels different. So I said I'll pray again and he said um, after a couple of minutes he just started to cry and like, complete, like completely weeping and he said that his knee was like burning, almost like the pain was like completely like leaving his body but it was burning like the fire of the Lord was on it um, and after he was able to walk, after not being able to for two months. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely. So, isn't God good? As they say, there's no junior Holy Spirit. No junior Holy Spirit. Same Spirit. Yeah. There were some amazing things. 
One which I want to share is this, it just touched my heart, really touched my heart, this one. We went to another church, just my little team of 10, 10 young people and myself. Um, and one of, the, one, of the guys, one of the guys from Global was speaking there. And um, at the end of the, the, um, the speaking, he invited Holy Spirit and invited people to come up and respond. And, um, you know, quite often during these times, people would, we, we called it getting blasted, you know, the Holy Spirit would come and just, you know, and um, I was thinking, I was looking at this guy, I came, went over to minister to him as so I had my hand on his shoulder and I was thinking, this guy's enormous, you know. He makes me look quite short, a couple of inches taller than me, yeah. Twice the size of me, you know. And, um, you know, big tattooed guy, massive muscles on his arms, huge guy. And he's, he's there at the altar and he is weeping. I thought he was going to get blasted. And I was concerned because there was a really small woman just standing right behind him. And I thought, if this guy goes, there's no way I'm going to be able to take him to the floor. And, and that woman is going to get literally squashed. So fortunately, he didn't. But at the, end of, at the end of just ministering to him, praying for him, he turned around and he just grabbed hold of me and he, 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 he hugged me and he wept and wept on my shoulder just saying, you know, obrigado, obrigado, thank you, thank you. And... What struck me, though, was that this was so often the case throughout the church. You know, there were so many men in those churches, which is good. CCF has got a lot of men in it, which is great. But, but there's, where there's masculine men, there's healthy family, right? And this is a tiny bit of, you know, what I noticed, a tiny part of this kind of redemptive masculinity that I saw in the church in Brazil. There were guys who were really leading their families, taking responsibility, open to the Holy Spirit, willing to follow Jesus, and you know, who would go up and weep at the altar because they wanted to see more of Jesus move, and they did indeed see more of Jesus move. So that was just a massive encouragement to me. Another one I'll, I'll share is, is um, on the final night, um, they were talking about, it was a healing service, and they were talking about they were praying for people who were deaf or who had hearing problems. And among other prayer, you know, there was prayer for other things as well. But, but um, after a few minutes, this guy came, got up on stage and he said, he gave a testimony. He said, I, you know, I, could, I couldn't hear before, but I can definitely hear something now. And he was beginning to feel like he had got his hearing back. He had been able to hear at one time in his life, but it was coming back, his hearing. He was quite a young guy. And... The speaker said, right, okay, so you need to pray for healing for, for hearing issues for other people. And so he then prayed, um, and about a minute later, there was this big commotion towards the front, and this guy ran across the whole auditorium with his, with his son, carrying his son, who was about 10 years old, went up onto the stage, and basically what, happened, what had happened was his son had had a perforated eardrum, so he hadn't been able to hear at all out of one ear. And when, this, when the guy who was being healed of hearing issues prayed, he was immediately, instantly healed, and um, he was able to hear. And um, so it was cool to see this, this dad and his son just, you know, rejoicing on the stage as, uh, as, they were, as he was able to hear for the first time for a long time in that year. So... It wasn't only in the church that we did ministry. The first week was mainly the conference. The second week we went out um, onto the streets and to various different places. Um, so I'll tell you a couple of those. We went to a Christian university. Now, if you think the vision for this school is big that Steve had, you know, let me tell you about the founder of the university who we met. Okay, He was a boy from a poor village who had moved to a poor neighborhood in the city when he was young. He'd managed to get university educated, he'd come to faith, he knew Jesus, and he decided, well, God decided to give him this vision to start a university. So he'd started a university in the early 1990s or mid-1990s. So it's been going for like 30-something years. It has 180,000 students. 180,000 students. And he said, on the back of every toilet door, there's a verse of scripture. He said... If the students go to a different cubicle each time, they'll read the whole Bible in the time that, in the time that they're in the university. You know. So what an amazing vision, though. You know, 180,000 students. 
And he's linked up with some other universities. Between them, they have 435,000 students who go to those unis. Isn't that kind of amazing? And it's all for Jesus' glory. You know, this guy was just a humble guy who decided, this is what God's asked me to do. And so he did it. And so we went on to his university to do some outreach. Not everybody who goes there is a Christian, but, but you know, it's got a Christian um, ethos. So we went there to do outreach. And the way we would do outreach is quite simple again. Get our teams, which are about 10 people. Then, you know, uh, some translators as well, because it always helps to be able to have our um, English translated into Portuguese. And then we would we would um, stand in a circle, pray for words of knowledge, spend a few minutes asking the Lord to kind of reveal to us things that we might see for people who need, who need them. And we'd write those words down on, on the kind of notes part of our phone. And then we would go in our little group and split up a little bit so it's not too daunting. You don't want 10 people coming up to you with five translators because that's way too much. Um, so I, I was, just one time I, when we did this at this, at this uni that afternoon, um, I prayed and I got a couple of particular things that were words, um, like images that God gave me, but then nothing really specific. And then as I was walking down towards where we start, we're going to start the outreach, I saw a dead butterfly on the ground. And as I picked it up to look at it, uh, the Lord said to me, that this is kind of, this symbolizes a woman who has got emotional fragility issues. She's emotionally fr fragile, basically. And so I thought, oh, that's interesting. Anyway, so we then, we then started to kind of do outreach. And, I, and, and um, we talked to one woman and prayed with her and, and ministered to her, and she was up for it. She was a PE teacher there. She, was, you know, she, she had some sort of faith. Then we went, then I split off with a couple, I think I was with two, two of the Brazilians, two um, translators. And we just went up to this woman who was obviously a nurse there. She said she worked with autistic kids. And she was um, just about to, I think she was just about to start her shift. And she said she was just about to go into the building. We said, oh, oh, you know, can we, can we just kind of pray for you? And, and she said, oh, OK, yeah. And she, anyway, we then, um, I, you know, then, then I, just, I, I just felt that this was the woman that I needed to talk to about emotional fragility. She said, yeah, you can pray for my family. I said, yeah, I think the Lord wanted to say something to you that, he, you know, and I, I spoke life into her and I spoke the strength of the Lord into her and I, and I gave her this word about, about God being her fortress and her strength. And, and you know, she, and as I prayed for her, she, she just started to weep and Holy Spirit came down and it was just super powerful. And again, it's just the compassion of the Lord on people, you know. And it was really interesting because she, um, we then prayed and blessed her work with these autistic kids that she would see healing in those, in that, in, in those, um, in those kids. So even out on the streets, just meeting people, being able to, you know, see God move. And then we went, one day we went to a, to a mall to pray for people, to a shopping mall. And, um, and, um, it was funny because I noticed that security guards got really edgy with us because we were going around and kind of talking to people. And so they were kind of following some of our groups and they kind of shut some of the groups down from doing what, what, what they were hoping to do. But I was just with um, one of my team and one translator who had just moved back from England. She, was, she had lived in Bracknell. She was Portuguese, Brazilian. But she had spent a lot of her life in England. And it was really, really interesting to see how her faith grew during the outreach we did, you know, because she wasn't used to being in Brazil and seeing where things were at. So she, she was like, oh, you can't. How, how do you go up to people on the street and ask them and all that kind of stuff? So she was a little bit reticent. But as we talked to people, you know, and they opened up, she was, she was really... Uh, you know, touched by the Lord. Anyway, we got to this one place, you know, in the mall, and we, it was kind of awkward because there were these security guards around, so we decided to buy an ice cream. And so we were, they had these little concessions, they're like McDonald's concessions or, you know, those sorts of things, where they just sell ice cream in the malls. And so we were, so we, um, so we started ordering our ice cream, and then we just started talking to the guy who was called Flavio, who was, who was selling us the ice cream. And then, 
we asked him if he knew the Lord, and he basically said, oh, yeah, I used to go to church. And anyway, we, we, we um, led him back to the Lord in the ice cream booth, so that was kind of cool. Um, so that was a really great thing to, to see and to hear. Um, I could carry on. I'm not going to carry on right now. Suffice to say, the Lord has great things for us. Jesus is the same in Brazil as he is in England. You know, um, in Brazil, we witnessed over a thousand healings in two weeks. <laughs> it was kind of crazy. You know, during those services, you'd literally have a line of people queue up. I had a line of people queue up because they had reflux and they had pain at the time and the pain left literally like that. You'd go down the line, you'd pray for each one individually and they're, oh, it's gone, it's gone, it's gone, like that. It was just super, super encouraging to see. And these were only the, th the thousand we saw were only the ones that, that could be verified at the time. There were plenty of other people who came and had prayer and I'm, I believe God moved in who, um, who didn't um, see, at that, they couldn't check at that point whether they'd been healed. So, guys, where are our expectations at, I guess, is my question. What can the Lord do? Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Nothing can hinder the Lord saving, whether by many or by few. Mm. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Saving, sozo, saved, healed, delivered. Nothing can... Nothing can stop the Lord from healing. Nothing can stop the Lord from healing. Nothing. So pray for the people. Yeah, let's pray. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're going to do that. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, I just thank you that your word says, Jesus, that that when you saw the crowds, you had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And Lord, we thank you that you are our good shepherd, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are the shepherd of the sheep, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you have compassion. You still have that compassion you had yes. then when, when it said that you cured everyone who came to yes. you and you healed them all. You still have that same compassion now, Lord. We, we know that, Lord Jesus, and it's our testimony. That, that you do, Lord. And so, Lord, Holy Spirit, we invite you here, Lord, to do what you would do, even this morning, Lord. I come against, we, we come against, in the name of Jesus, this, any procrastination, any distraction, any, any false mindsets that have built that have built up that are a wall against the, the work of Jesus. I come against them in the name of Jesus and I say, be gone, be, be, be leveled, Go from this place. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, Thank you, Jesus that you do, you do in the UK what you do in Brazil, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that this isn't about... You, you care for the individual, but this is not only about each, it's about each individual, but it's also, it's not the kind of response of, yeah, we see God do things by ones and twos nowadays. Lord, we want to, we, we see you by, think, do things by cues nowadays, Lord. There are people queuing to hear the word of the Lord. There are people queuing to hear the word of the Lord. There are people desperate to hear the word of the Lord. And so, Lord, may you be glorified, Lord Jesus. May you be glorified in this fellowship, Lord. May you be glorified, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It says in your word that you are the same yesterday. You're the same today and you're the same forever. That your love never changes. That it never diminishes even for a moment, Lord. Lord, I want to lift before you those who are all of us in, a, in this ministry who are climbing a cliff or just thinking about that cliff and, and we've been thinking too long we need to get climbing and Lord we just, we, we just take away delay in the name of Jesus we say no to delay in the name of Jesus Lord we say Lord even this week you're going to give us the, the tools that we need in order to climb that cliff to climb higher you're going to show us the footholds we need you're going to show us the handholds we need to climb that cliff 
Thank you, Lord, that you are glorified in this place. Lord, thank you, Lord, that you are glorified in this place. Thank you, Lord, that you are glorified in this place. Holy Spirit, be glorified in this place. I break old mindsets. I break old mindsets. I break old mindsets. I break this mindset of not in the UK. I break the mindset of not in the UK in the name of Jesus. Lord, we say in the UK. In the UK as in heaven. In the UK as in heaven, Lord. May your kingdom come in the UK as in heaven. May your will be done in the UK as in heaven, Lord. In the UK as in heaven. In London as in heaven. In our midst as in heaven. Lord, we just give you thanks this morning. We just give you thanks, Lord Jesus. We, we just thank you that you magnify yourself and you glorify your name in this place. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I just knock off confusion and distraction in the name of Jesus and just speak the clarity of Jesus, Lord, the Holy Spirit clarity over our walk. Holy Spirit clarity. Holy Spirit clarity. And I speak to those plans and those dreams that were once alive and have become a little bit dead. And I say, be awake, be alive again. To the name of, to, to, the, to, the, to the words of Jesus, to the voice of Jesus, be alive again. Come alive again to the voice of Jesus. I speak to those things that we've said, no, no, that's impossible. Or other people have said to us, no, no, that's impossible, that's impossible. We speak no in the name of Jesus. We say it's totally possible. Everything is possible for him who believes. Everything is possible for him who believes. For her who believes. Everything is possible. And so I speak that in the name of Jesus over this fellowship. Everything is possible for he who believes, for she who believes. Everything is possible for us who believe. We just give you thanks, Lord Jesus, this morning. We just give you thanks this morning. We give you thanks this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you have great victories for us, Lord. Yeah. Thank you, Lord, that you have great victories for us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that the victory is coming. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that the victory is coming. Thank you that a hard rain is going to fall. There's going to be people brought into this place who, who only just got to know you, who don't yet know you, and they're going to come to know you, and their lives are going to be transformed. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We just give you thanks, Lord Jesus. We just, we just thank you that, Lord, you call to life things that are not as they are, Lord. The plans that the enemy thought had killed off are coming back to life. Plans that the enemy thought were done are actually now, are now being dusted off and resurrected. Thank you, Lord, that even in the, even in the darkest hour, Lord, Lord, you bring the dawn. You bring the dawn. And thank you, Lord, that, that your light is glorious. And we say, Lord, arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon us. The Lord rises upon us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 